Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food News team. This week we have a very special episode. Um, because um, last week uh, we had our first ever Twitter space, which is basically a live podcast. And we also had some very distinguished, uh, now I'm speaking the moderation language. uh, Yeah, that's very EU doubly of you, very jargony. Very distinguished uh, uh, guests. Mm Mm-hmm. And we talk about the common agricultural policy. What else? I mean, how can we talk about anything else? Considering, you know, considering we're running into the last few weeks before the entry into force of the cap reform. Do you think we're we're becoming boring uh, to our listeners? Uh, I'd like to think not, but <laughs> let us know if we are. <laughs> of course, you can send us feedback uh, for the next. Uh, uh, next uh, actually next year podcast yeah because we also have to announce this is the last podcast of the year so we're out on a high talking about what's to come in january um, but we will be back in january so without uh, further ado again uh, the brussels uh, <laughs> do you want to pass me the floor now <laughs> we're gonna pass the floor to the normal host of this of this uh, podcast so natasha foot uh, gerardo Fortuna, and julia dam uh, which they're gonna talk about cap, all about cap, and introduce very distinguished speakers. We have been covering the cap since way before it was cool. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, before our um, reporting, people in this town used to say CAP, which is a terrible way to say that. Awful. Uh, and uh, and we actually started uh, introduce this uh, bubble to the world cup that is better You're for welcome, puns, You're for welcome. jokes. <laughs> so let's start with a little bit of background about the cap for our listeners. For those of you who don't know, um, so the cap is the EU's farming subsidies program. It's worth a whopping third of the EU budget. We're talking here around about 270 billion euros. And of course, where there's money, there's controversy. I think it's fair to say. Um, so the farming subsidies program it aims to support farmers and improve agricultural productivity, ensure a stable supply of affordable food, and also that EU farmers can make a reasonable living while also safeguarding the environment. And that's becoming a bigger and bigger theme, especially in this cap reform, because the reason that we're holding this cap space, that sorry, this cap space, <laughs> I've just renamed the space, this Twitter space today, is because the new cap reform is entering into force on the 1st of January next year. So we're really not very far away. We're only just a few weeks away from uh, from the real crunch time, cap crunch time now. Still, there are some uh, some plans. We're gonna we're gonna dive into the details, uh, talking about strategic plans. Um, so remember, if you all the nitty gritty, yeah, don't worry all the nitty gritty. But the process, let's say, uh, it's still open. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost we're almost there. But there are still some uh, plans, let's say, some kind of uh, uh, plans from member states uh, in order to fulfill the main uh, common agricultural policy uh, objectives that need to be uh, approved by the Commission. Uh, yesterday, there was the the one from the ones from Belgium that was approved. It's true to the, both of them. 
the two yeah. brothers from Belgium. Yeah, we're actually approaching nearly a full house now. And I was talking to, to a few different sources, and they're saying that next week we're going to have almost certainly all of the cat plans approved by then. So you sound so professional when you say it. I know <laughs> sources, <laughs> but no, I mean we're really we're nearly there. We're we're at uh, I don't know how many plans now with Belgium, countries, but uh, like the the biggest uh, agricultural powers, uh, mm. they already got uh, the plan approved. Mm. But again, we're gonna dive into this uh, in a bit. Uh, we're also saying that uh, we're uh, our room is populating slowly. We mm. uh, we also see familiar faces. Uh, yeah, good to see you all here. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah our colleague uh, Bartosz probably Bartosz could, su- could could suggest us how to say happy birthday in Polish. True. Yeah. 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 And um, so yeah, you were you were talking about the background, uh, Tash, and. Um, what else we can say? We can also introduce uh, our listeners to the main features of uh, this uh, new reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, we highlighted three main features. Mm-hmm. There are also more uh, than uh, than these three. Uh, but I will start with the strategic plans. Actually. Okay. So um, that was at the beginning. The, the proposal of the common agricultural policy was made by the Commission in uh, 2018. So under the former administration, the Juncker Commission. Uh, at the time, the Agriculture Commissioner was Phil Hogan. Uh, indeed, uh, for many people in uh, the bubble, it's still the Hogan proposal, the Hogan common agricultural policy, even though uh, it has been. Um, it has been concluded by, uh, you know, the current agriculture commin- commissioner, uh, Janusz Wojciechowski. Happy birthday again. Um, and um, the main idea was to delegate more responsibility to member states in, uh, in uh, basically planning the investments uh, and also the policies, which uh, led to a risk of uh, a renationalization of common agricultural policy was one of the main uh, outstanding issue during the negotiations. So basically losing the C of the CIP acronym, which is basically a common part, um, because member states are now directly responsible for they for the, at least the design and the implementation, as well as the evaluation of the uh, common agricultural policy. So the idea is to have... Uh, a more flexible and targeted approach to to this um, important part of uh, EU budget. Again, this was quite criticised uh, because uh, there are there were and there are still risk of losing this C, this common um, aspect of the Common Agricultural Policy. Um, the main, the core aspect of the implementation of the Common Agricultural Policy is the strategic plans, the national strategic plans. Mm-hmm. So uh, these plans are, um, it's basically how the countries are setting out how they intend to meet the nine EU-wide objectives. So the common agricultural policy, the, the, the initiator of the common agricultural, common agricultural policy reform, the commission is giving some kind of um, um, space. objectives, yeah, space to, to national, which you know, for um, people who actually followed the the common agricultural policy in the past, 
at a certain point there was the uh, the previous reform and there was the um, the proposal for the menu so the commission present the uh, main objectives and the member states would have picked uh, the one that they would have uh, implemented mm. it's uh, basically the same idea i remember there was a, a i don't remember because i wasn't reporting but i <laughs> i've heard you know. by, by colleagues and and uh, cap experts uh, that there was actually, um, particularly in the omnibus, it's, it was the midterm revision of the previous cap uh, with uh, Charles and uh, at the time at the time was uh, Paolo de Castro the rapporteur, uh, the omnibus regulation. Uh, this is uh, wow, cap prehistory, oh, um, and uh, that was the problem. That was the main issue. Uh, the first time in which we were talking about losing the sea, no, the menu. Oh. And in the end, it wasn't really like a menu, but uh, these nine new white objectives look like a menu. Um, so um, they basically they are basically all the instruments uh, that the member state could uh, could use uh, to respond to the specific needs of their yeah. farmers, mm. their rural communities. Which makes sense because I mean, in the sense of obviously countries i mean the issues that Im- impact somewhere like ireland is very different than what would impact greece yeah. I mean, this is this is the concept right it's a it's a kind of a more of a personalized uh, they're setting out a plan of how each individual country will achieve the ambitions of the cap based on their personal circumstances in each country yeah and also it's also it was helpful to shift the let's say the emphasis from compliance it was a bit of um the main uh, requirement for member states to results to performance because now then we're going to talk also about the, the other main um let's say novelty which are the green uh, eco scheme mm. um so again this is basically a process in two steps uh, there's an ana- there was an analysis by the commission uh, there was a back and forth between the commission and the member states the commission suggesting some of the points that the member states should actually uh, try to fulfill uh, some kind of objectives that are more dear but also in which the country maybe they have has to do a bit a little bit more uh, it depends, as you said, it depends on uh, on the different uh, situation in the, in the different countries, sometimes even in the different regions, eh? because we have uh, uh, quite big countries like Spain, like France, and they have uh, different regions and different uh, problems. Let's, for instance, let's make an, the example of the climate change. There are some regions in, uh, in uh, the same country that are more subjected to um, the climate change issue, mm-hmm. and they need a different support. Um, so basically, this process is almost about to end. We were. Yeah, I think it's safe to say it's been a pretty bumpy ride. To it's to been get a bumpy ride. Approved because uh, the deadline kept getting pushed back and back and back. And with the Ukraine war, um, you know, there was multiple revisions already of the different cap plans. We're already talking about the next revisions of the cap plans, and you know, farmers were they wanted these plans approved by summer. Some of them are only getting approved just. Now, of course, it has to be implemented, start being implemented in just a few weeks' time. Um, so it's been uh, it's been quite a journey, lots of twists and turns in getting these CAP plans approved. But that's a pretty good overview of the CAP plans. Let's move to the eco-schemes. Yulia, 
that uh, I think is going to walk us through what's an eco scheme, what's going on, what are these new innovations of this new cap reform? Yeah, indeed. The, the eco schemes are one of the main innovations of this new cap and they're a big part of what Gerardo just, just described of this new, more national um, approach, this more additional freedom that men- member states get. Uh, and they're also part of the so-called green architecture of the cup. So um, all of the measures that are supposed to make the cup climate friendly, environmentally friendly, make it greener, so to speak. Um, and basically, the eco schemes are an instrument that's meant to financially reward farmers for voluntary environmental or climate measures uh, that they can do. So if they go the extra mile, they get extra money. That's basically the idea. And these measures can be a wide range of things. They can include flower strips, integrated pest management, animal welfare measures like friendly housing conditions. Uh, It can even be carbon farming measures in some countries or steps to fight antimicrobial resistance. So it can really be a wide wide range of measures. Um, But what's key is, um, as we said, that which of these measures are offered to farmers um, which of these um, funding and how much they get for doing each of the measures is actually up to member states. So in their strategic plans that um, we just we just talked about, uh, each member state determines a catalogue of different eco schemes that members uh, that farmers can get um, funding for. So this approach of leaving it up to member states to um, draw up this catalogue. Uh, it's meant to allow for more tailored solutions. We, or Gerardo just mentioned it. Um, there's very different farming conditions in different member states, very different needs. So these catalogues are meant to be tailored to each member state's needs. Um, but there are also risks that many many um, stakeholders have pointed out. Um, so for one, um, if each member state determines these catalogues depending on how they actually um, create them, what they actually include, there's a risk that farmers could get money for measures that actually don't have that much of a big impact. Um, so if member states include some measures that are quite easy to do, uh, that farmers maybe already do anyways, uh, and that don't have that much of an extra environmental or climate impact, um, then the money isn't really going where it's supposed to be going. And the second risk is that um, the member states also determine how much farmers get rewarded for each of the measures that they could do. And if this reward is too small for a measure that's quite um, quite difficult to do or quite uh, resource intensive to do, it's not attractive for farmers to actually participate in this. So a member state is offering to pay farmers for doing a specific environmental measure, but no farmer is going to want to do it because it just it's just too much work or too much cost for them with too little reward. And in this case, eco schemes could fall flat if farmers just don't participate in them because it's voluntary. Mm-hmm. Um, so what farmers and environmentalists are looking out for when they see the plans that are being published and they're being approved is they look at the catalog of eco schemes and they see which eco schemes are offered and how much do farmers actually get for it? Is it even attractive for them to take part? And this is kind of what makes or breaks this instrument in each of the member states um, and what also gives the member states um, a lot of power in this. Uh, Diana is the uh, president of the Young Farmers Association, uh, Seja. Seja? Seja, or whatever. <laughs> Whoa, I always said Seja. Really? Yeah, it's oh. uh, the French influence. <laughs> Diana um, is also a farmer herself, so bringing the farming perspective here, I mean, 
how how are you feeling about the you know we're rapidly approaching a few weeks away about the implementation of this of this cap reform well again as i said uh, a lot of expectation but also a lot of uh, concerns i mean gerardo was saying mm-hmm. this before for italy the the plan was approved last friday and, and farmers are are people who who work planning who normally at this point will have already planted for the next year uh, that need certainty in how they approach their everyday work. And I feel there was really not much certainty in how this, uh, this new cap was going to really finally take shape and form. Um, mm. It is, of course, the first edition. I do see some of the, of the benefits of really allowing member states to be more tailored in their measures and to be more uh, like on spot. Uh, for the necessities mm-hmm. of their farmers. So maybe we do need to give it just the time of being a first edition and so that maybe the instrument of national strategic plans in the years to come could really help member states address uh, national issues. At the same time, the CAP was born because we believed that there was a need for a common EU agriculture. And I don't want to see that getting lost instead in this kind of you no know, respreading out at national level uh, some of the competences, but also the fact that we tend to always go at different speeds in different member states. And instead, I don't want to lose that common thread that is necessary in order to have a strong EU agriculture. And this is also where I think the young farmers really come in and, and need to be involved. We've seen it We've, we've done a lot of consultations and we have mem- certain member states that put no room, gave no room to young farmers in the consultations. And this cap mm. is, no, it's a cap that wants to draw kind of a new line, a new future in, in EU agriculture, putting in new objectives uh, that need to be also reached through the cap. And, and how can you not involve the people who will be creating farms according to these new objectives. There's one more very innovative feature of this new cap reform that I just want to talk about. And that is social conditionality. And basically social conditionality aims to link cap subsidies to working and employment standards. So we're talking here about workers' rights on the farm, upholding EU uh, standards. Um, So in this way, the idea is for this cap reform not only to be greener, but also fairer. And this, of course, is an issue that's been, was massively in the spotlight during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, which was highlighting a number of violations of agricultural workers' rights. Um, there's been multiple um, multiple instances of various uh, violations in, in this in this capacity. Um, so why is it interesting? Well, this is actually, I mean, for some people, they've actually seen this as the start of a third pillar of the common agricultural policy. Um, we have the two pillars already. We, don't, we didn't really talk about this, but we have two pillars of the cap. Two pillars. Two so-called they? pillars of the cap. We have the direct payments. Um, which, you know, a direct support for farmers and we have the Rural Development Fund. And for some people, this is, we're going into new territory here with the social conditionality. 
it's a kind of a new it's a broadening of the cap um into into new waters and it was interesting because this social conditionality was a major sticking point in negotiations it was pushed uh, by the European Parliament, there were multiple concerns from member states about um, the, the same similar concerns we always hear. You know, extra burden on the farmers, um, extra red tape, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and this idea of broadening the scope of the cap beyond what it was ever intended to be. So it's a it, it's a major innovation, and in the end, this this passed. Um, the cap social dimension won't actually start applying from day one, but the mechanism will be compulsory as of 2025. It will start being implemented in 2023. Um, That's to give a little bit of space for for a learning period. But some member states have actually opted to apply this even earlier via their cap plans. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and how this sets the stage for the rest of the member states to follow. Um, Indeed. indeed. indeed, indeed. And, And you know where to follow up on this? On our website, of course. Exactly. Uh, we already have two requests um, um, from uh, actually two people that we know. Uh, Diana Lenzi, um, we can uh, give the first to her. We have another guest with us. Well, thank you, firstly, to Diana. Your... Th- thanks, Diana. Thanks, Diana. We um, have here with us Marilda Dascali. Or yes. Dascali. I hope I haven't mispronounced your name, Marilda. No, no, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's it. Marilda, Marilda maybe you can quickly introduce yourself for our listeners. Sure, sure. Uh, so, first of all, thank you for giving us the opportunity to intervene. And uh, I am the EU Agriculture and Bioenergy Policy for, uh, Officer for BirdLife Europe and Central Asia. And uh, my different topics, I'm also dealing with the cap. Um, and um, and actually, um, I wanted to, to say, and I wanted to go in the same direction as what Julia said before, and also what uh, Diana said, in the fact that uh, today we are seeing a mismatch between the scale and urgency of the climate crisis and biodiversity crisis and what farmers should begin to uh, to implement and the low number and limited uh, ambition of some of the voluntary ske- uh, green schemes, mm. whether it is eco-schemes or ICMs. So um, the high quality of measures, uh, as Julia said, uh, are often under underfund and uh, too many green measures, uh, they lack of meaningful ambition and they have the, the, the greater envelope. So, as you said, uh, Natasha, where the money flows, it's very important to understand what the mar- the farmers will do uh, in, the, in the following years. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for, for us, it's uh, we, we have uh, we will launch a report tomorrow. Um, we have assessed uh, seventeen uh, cap strategic plans, mm-hmm. actually, and we have made an assessment on the the budget and also on how the uh, IECM, so environmental. Uh, agriculture, uh, environmental and climate measures and the eco-schemes will be funded. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have put this in in the biodiversity and climate urgency uh, perspective because at a certain point we need a more resilient uh, agriculture system. We need uh, to be able to produce food in the future and we've been seeing that the climate crisis uh, have been terrible for the farmers and, and for our ability to produce food. It's time uh, for us to wrap up. This wrap cap. up the cap. 
So that's all from us this week. And this week, like every week, the Euractive AgriFood podcast was brought to you by Euractive's AgriFood news team. That's Gerardo Fortuna, Natasha Foot, and Julia Dam with the technical support of Eddie Chiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. That includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next year.